Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This Is Not Church. I am John Turney, and with me always is my brother, Nat. Yo. Give a little shout out there, Nat. Yo, 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 what up? Wow. <laughs> You always, you always bring, you always bring the stuff. You uh, always bring it. There's nothing you more. Bring it. There's nothing more fun than a middle-aged white guy going, "Yo, yo, yo, what up? How you doing?" Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing to make us sound more white than possible than that right there. Hey, thank you, be thank nice, you for man. that. I am. Huh? I'm no, sorry. I'm, I'm just sorry. <laughs> the truth is the truth, and we just gotta live with it. But anyway, that's right. Lean in. Back to what we're doing here. But we are honored to have with us today uh, Brandon Andrus. He is the author of an upcoming book title, What Can't Be Hidden. So I'm going to give you a quick uh, bio for him, and then we're just going to jump right into this conversation. Brandon Andrus is a writer, author, speaker, and backpacker. He is the author of What Can't Be Hidden and best-selling Beauty in the Wreckage, Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage. As a freelance writer, Brandon has contributed his work to Relevant Magazine, Renew, and I'm going to get this one wrong, Zondervan. Brandon lives in Columbus, Indiana and is a graduate of Hanover College in psychology with an MBA from Indiana Wesleyan University. Brandon's written work can be found at brandonandrus.com. So uh, after that not-so-great intro by me, but uh, <laughs> just like to <laughs> welcome you to the podcast. And uh, welcome to what we try to call, call professional, but yeah, we're just not professional. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, chump. <laughs> welcome, Brandon. But we are on. Uh, yeah, we're on. Well, hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're good, man. We're clearly yeah. um, still waking up. <laughs> That's all right. No, I'm sitting here with a little bit of beard envy looking at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's not much else going on in my life, you know, that I can claim is like cool about me. But this beard is one that I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. So that's sweet. But uh, I digress. I digress. Um, so yeah, obviously we're we got you on here to talk about the book. But you know, honestly, to, to just to start it all off, I'd like to get a little bit more of just your background. Um, I think it, you you spoke um, a little bit before we hit record that you're not really a fiction writer. You don't really read much fiction. So writing a fiction book. Um, What's the background and how did you get to the point to decide to write a book of fiction? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's a way to get people not to buy the book. The guy who doesn't read fiction and who decides to write a fiction book. <laughs> how about that? Man, I tell you what, I've been writing for about 14 or 15 years. I kind of stumbled in, you know, I kind of stumbled into nonfiction writing. Um, always been Always been very passionate about issues of faith and spirituality. And started a blog back in, I don't know what year it would have been, 06, 07. And from that point on, I uh, wrote a couple of self-published books early on, 2010, 2013 or 14. And then uh, after doing the self-pub thing, got connected to Choir and published my last book, I think three years ago, uh, Beauty and the Wreckage. And then I tell you what, writing for me um, kind of seems like when, whenever I think about a person training for a marathon, like I am not a runner. And, and to me, training for a marathon and running a marathon seems horrific and brutal and just something I never want to do. And that's kind of the way I personally feel about writing books as well. <laughs> like if somebody told me that I was going to write a book about anything, I would say, why would you want to write a book? It just seems so exhausting and you have to keep up a passion for the subject for an eternity. I mean, right. You, yeah. you have to have the energy to start it, but then it's going to go on and on and on and, and trying to uh, finish it, but to have something that people want to actually read. And so uh, I never go into it. I never plan on writing a book. It's almost like uh, a book comes to me at a at a moment and all of a sudden it's there and I'll take some notes and I'll let it sit for months and see if I have any energy for it. And so how I got into this fiction book, <laughs> I was mowing my front yard and I know exactly where I was. You know, I just started. I, I probably had taken four or five swipes and all of a sudden, I had this image of a circle 
that's fractured. And the circle reminded me like kind of uh, primitively of an island and this kind of fractured idea of community. And I just stopped mowing and I'm like, I'm going to get all of these notes out of what's just coming to me right now. And so I took about, you know, I'm the weird guy sweating in his front yard and the neighbors are like, look, that guy's on his phone for 30 minutes while he's trying to mow the grass. But I sat there for 20, 25 minutes and just took notes and then just parked it until November. So that would have been from June of 19 through uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Halloween of 19. Wow. All right. So with your other writings, though, because... Uh, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to harp on this that you have not written fiction before, because. Uh, but it 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 does beg the question. So your other writings were mostly uh, nonfiction. Uh, were they were they mostly were they more faith based or were they more religious uh, nonfiction or was was it kind of like all over the place too? Yeah, yeah. No, actually, uh, it was pretty narrowly focused. The nonfiction that I would write was centered completely in Christianity. It was, you know, and, and I, and the blog still continues. I think my last big series was a hell series that I did, like a 10 part series. And I've, I've done a few other things, but I think what I, one of the things that I started figuring out, at least for myself, is that we've changed in this country quite a bit. And, I there's so much information bombarding people each day from just social media or the news or whatever. I just think that people are getting weary of reading. And I, I know that over the last decade, I've watched a lot of the things that I've written decline in readership. And I don't think it's because necessarily it's the content. Um, I really believe whether whether it's the algorithms doing their job or whether it's just people feeling overwhelmed and shutting off social media, which is primarily the place where I would share with people. And plus, I'm just like, man, pe people don't need another opinion from another person. And so I've kind of grown weary of what I've been writing and grown weary of the topics I've been writing on. And, and as you know, whenever you write nonfiction, it is intellectual. It's what's in your head. It's what you know. And you take right, what you know, right. you write it down on a uh, piece of paper or a computer. And I just had been feeling this pull toward fiction for a while because I thought, you know, it's a different medium where you can engage people differently. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. You're engaging people's senses, the way that they see, feel, taste, touch, and people have to be there with you in order to uh, experience it. And I thought, man, what would it be like for people to be able to feel what these characters are feeling and empathize with them and see the world differently and understand situations differently and come to it from a perspective? Whenever you're, when, when you're, at least in my opinion, when I'm writing fiction, it feels like a place where it can disarm people to welcome in ideas and thoughts that maybe previously they had their uh, fists up pushing back. Yeah, no, I can totally relate with that. I did write a blog for a while. Mine was a fiction blog. So, um, but it came out of this idea of like putting up all this information and kind of pushing back on uh, people's perspective of faith, religion and all that, right? And it found, I found that if you're just like throwing facts at people a lot, they can get angry really fast, right? I think we all see that in social media, how quickly how quickly people become very volatile towards you pushing back on yep. something that they hold dear. Uh, and then when I wrote in uh, fiction, and then also in each, each one of my blogs, I would have a, a poem attached. And some of these poems I wrote were pretty out there. You know, I was, I was putting out some pretty heretical stuff. Uh, but in, you know, but in like, you know, in the flow of, of rhyme and poetry, and I didn't get even near the pushback. I, you know, I mean, I, I finished one of these oh, poems. Of I'm like, okay, here it comes, here it comes. I, I know I'm going to get it. And no. I, so yeah, there is a way of disarming people, right? Uh, through fiction and, and prose. I'm sorry, Nat, I cut you off. You're about to say something. No, I was just going to make a snide comment about how people don't read poetry, but um, <laughs> that's, that's why there's no pushback is nobody gives a shit about poetry. But, um, but you know what? On that same, uh, in that same train of thought, I have found it amusing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor who just 
you know, cursed on the air, but that happens. Um, but I'm a pastor. I've been a worship leader for most of my life. You know, I'm fi- almost 50 for 30 plus years of my life. I've been a worship leader. It always struck me as very strange that worship music can be borderline universalist in its, in its content. There are songs that we sing by Hillsong and Bethel and these mainstream churches that I know are nowhere near that theologically but they sing these songs, you know, like his love will never fail, like he's saving everyone. Like there, there's all these these undercurrents of hopefulness and universal reconciliation. And and then, you know, and then it would strike me as very strange that I would sing these songs and then, and then some preacher would come up and like undercut everything I just sang. And so, <laughs> but nobody ever pushed back exactly. on the songs, man. You know, his mercy yeah. never ends. His love is enduring. His da 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 da. You go on and on and on. And 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 we didn't sing songs and about how going he's going to gonna toss you into a you know <laughs> yeah. sulfuric fire pit. You know that would make Pol Pot exactly. and Hitler blush. You know we never talked about that stuff. <laughs> um, we sure as shit don't sing songs about it. You know, watching our enemies burn and how happy we'll be. But you know, Piper can get up there and talk about how God gets glory. You know, from every sinner who's tossed <laughs> into a you know you know some subterranean torture chamber. So it's very strange. I think you're right that the that the medium does lend itself to sometimes softening some of those um, more controversial edges and going, okay, I can take this in the form of. I think that's one of the things that that Paul Young did so brilliantly with the shack was take a subject matter that was was very difficult and very um, theologically deep. And what I know about Paul is so much of what he wrote about he intuited. Uh, he, this wasn't a guy who was, you know, had some massive seminary background, although he's very smart. Um, but when other theologians had read his work and said, oh, man, you've touched on stuff that I just think Holy Spirit just dropped this on you because, you know, this is so orthodox. It is so genuine sort of apostolic Christianity. Um, it's so it's so much that that it appears heretical to the Western Christian mind. You know what I mean? It's like it's so it runs so counter to yeah, what we've yeah, heard yeah, in yeah. most of our evangelical churches. It sounds like heresy, um, but the way he was able to do that with prose, uh, and I imagine that 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 would be a similar thing with with your story that you can you can put it into a different setting. You can maybe take down some people's defenses somewhat. They're not going into it looking for a fight, um, and then you may just. Um, ambush them somewhat in in a good way. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean <laughs> with like, hey, by the way, you know, um, this story is also conveying some truths that might be um, easier to understand here. So, is that does that sound close to kind of? And was that your even your intention, or is that just kind of a natural outgrowth of of what it is that you did? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. It's funny because I I was talking to some of my friends about. I'm like, how do I interview for a fiction book? <laughs> because yeah. I don't, I don't know how to do. Because there's so much of the plot that you don't want to give away. And my right. friend said, um, just be like a musician. Whenever people ask them about songs, <laughs> just say it's a, it's left up to your interpretation. And yeah, for sure. You know, it, it, that part of it's interesting because I think um, this book is. There are things that I definitely have to say in this book, but it is non-combative and non-confrontational and it guides people and it disarms people. And you can go as deep as you want to go with this book. Every single line was meticulously selected for this book. I spent so much time. Every word is important. Every single word is important of this book. Um, because it, 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 if you spend the time with it, you, you will find layer upon layer upon layer of narrative that, um, that, that you didn't expect. So on the surface, I wanted to write a really good book. Okay. So a person could literally pick up the book and read it as a story and be like, that is a really good story. It was funny. It was difficult. It was super emotional. But then, if you're willing to, you will realize that there's a story below the surface. Actually, in my opinion, there's three stories in this one story, but uh, two of them, maybe a person could figure out one, not so much, but it's as deep as a person wants to go. And so I, I would look at look at this book as more of a uh, maybe a primer or maybe as um, a gentle guide for people. 
um, it, de- it really depends on who you are and where you're at and what you want out of this. But I think that it can lead you to an experience where your eyes can be open to where your ears can be opened and where your heart can be changed. So what you're saying then, and what I hear you saying then is if somebody was to read into this book, because sometimes I feel like we do this, you know, and, and we, t- we read, a, especially with a piece of fiction, um, sometimes we read into things the author did not intend to be there. And I, uh, Tolkien is famous for having said, you know, like, like none of the Lord of the Rings, none of it's allegorical. There's no deeper meaning here. It's just a story. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't believe you, first of all. Um, so if I arrive at some conclusion, because I've decided to dig deep into the text and wonder, you know, um, what you're saying is not nah, probably was there. That, like I did that, like maybe not, maybe not as matter of factly is like, I'm going to write this book. I think C.S. Lewis is, I think maybe that's what Tolkien was, was, was perhaps responding or, you know, uh, reacting to was like, oh, C.S. Lewis seemed a bit on the nose. Like he, like there was no doubt in anyone's mm-hmm, mind that mm-hmm. what he was doing with his Chronicles of Narnia stories was, I am, I am writing you an allegory. I want you to see and it was, and I, and I think Tolkien was like, yeah, but I'm not doing that. Like, okay, so if that's what you think. Somewhere in between both those guys, I think. You know, in one sense, I wanted to write a great story, but there's absolutely no question that I had every intention on writing an allegory. So (laughs) I'm not going to shy away from that fact. And I'll I'll go ahead and tell you guys this. This is not giving anything away. Uh, Unless you're the kind of person that actually flips to the back of the book before you start the beginning, then, you know, all bets are off. What but, kind of monster um, does that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, at, at, at the end of the book, there's kind of a key or a primer that gives people insight into the underlying narrative. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. So don't yeah. flip to All the right. back unless you want to have things spoiled for you. Just buy the digital book. No, I'm just, just kidding. Dude, the only books I ever flipped to the end of first were in great were were in school when they put the answers to the to the to the problems <laughs> yeah. in the math book. Yeah. Turn to the back. I was like, okay. And then they got smart and started assigning only like the even numbered questions because only the odd numbered questions were answered. Well, you sons of bitches. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, but once we all figured out there were answers in the back of the book, we're like, damn, why, why do the work, man? This is uh, how bad I am at, at fiction. I mean, I've read fiction books and I, I love fiction books and but I remember in high school, we were supposed to read Frankenstein. And I'm like, who doesn't know Frankenstein? So I completely didn't read it. And I remember to this day, one of the questions, it, it, this had to be the question where the teacher was like, either you've read it or you haven't. She said, what color was Frankenstein? And I'm like, everybody knows Frankenstein was He's green. Bolts on his neck and everything, man. You know, I will say this about... <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I will say this about fiction for me because, um, you know, maybe just in kind of selling this idea of me writing a fiction book, um, I've all, I'm, I'm kind of a 50, 50 right brain, left brain guy. And I've spent a lot of time over the years, you know, accessing the rational, logical side of it where I feel like I've been a little bit deprived and using the creative part. And so uh, for the trailer of this book, which I'm not even sure that you guys have seen, I probably should have sent I it have. to you. Um, yeah, I, I've I, seen it. I created it. And yeah, thank you. And I, people have been like, dude, that seems like a Hollywood trailer. <laughs> yeah, but, it really does. You know, it's just another avenue. Yeah, it's like another avenue for me. I'm going to release that on launch day, September 7th. But for me, I'm always kind of craving avenues for the creative element and just really wanting to to do that. And and one of my acknowledgments at the beginning of the book was to my uh, freshman year composition teacher. I, I gave her a nod in the book because... At that time, she was reading a lot of the stuff that I was writing and saying, you are going to be an English major. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Right, <laughs> but she, right. she, saw, she saw something in what I was writing uh, creatively, which I deeply, deeply appreciate. I think that that probably gave me even more confidence in what I could do with the creative word um, by her encouraging it. So wow. yeah, I just wanted to give a nod there. 
big shout out to the teachers, man. That's a, John John and I, um, you know, weirdly enough, we grew up together and uh, we, uh, (laughs) in the same house, weirdly enough, enough, brothers who grew up together, we we were only a year apart in school. And so um, usually it's now, now John's ahead of me in school and teachers up until like junior high anyway, um, they always liked John a lot. And then I would show up and they're like, who's this <laughs> asshole? You know, because John's all, you know, compliant and a good student and quiet. And I'm like, bah! you know, borderline ADHD and I'm freaking out uh, and throwing stuff. But um, but a lot I, we had similar teachers in high school as well. I bet you we could name a couple who were like super influential. Um, we either of, of all the you know dozens and dozens of teachers I had throughout, you know, elementary, middle and high school. Um, I could name a handful, the ones who were horrifyingly bad um, and a couple who were just mm-hmm, brilliant, mm-hmm. Who, who steered the course of my life in certain ways. Uh, my, my music teacher in high school is one who I still think of as, you know, one of the guys who saved me, you know, gave me an outlet for um, wow. something creative when the world just didn't make any sense at all. And this guy was just the most loving, compassionate, encouraging, brilliant man that I think I might've ever known. But, um, so nod out to the teachers who have the ability to, you know, to either encourage or, you know, smash dreams. So teachers don't do that. <laughs> um, I had a few that were, you know, and they tried my, every little bit of my patience, but, um, that's amazing, man. I, 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 John and I do both read fiction a lot. Um, in fact, John, John in high school, probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I think around high school is when you started getting into fantasy more. Um, you started reading Piers Anthony quite a bit. And we started out reading sci-fi, you and I both together, because dad was an aspiring sci-fi writer. So, but uh, we- Yeah, and the reason, yeah, the reason I jumped from sci-fi to fantasy was because, um, honestly, I just, I didn't have the brain capacity for some of the the really heavy science fiction, like like Asimov, um, who I love now, but as when I was younger, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp all of his- Brilliance? That- yeah, yeah, for lack of a better description, yeah. it's brilliance. But um, yeah, so epic fantasy started from like more of like a comical fantasy with like Piers Anthony and Terry Pratchett, and then I kind of jumped from that into more epic. I, I mean, the first fantasy book I ever read wasn't Tolkien. I didn't read Lord of the Rings until much later. But uh, to bring it kind of full circle back to what you wrote is, uh, I had just been on a road trip with my family, and my wife was thinking about trying to come up with a book that she wanted to read with her students. And she's like, well, I'm thinking about doing The Giver. So we read, uh, we listened to the audio book of The Giver on the way up. Uh, and then I didn't know and didn't realize that it's actually a part of a four-part series. I didn't know there were four books in that. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because obviously uh, anyone who hasn't read The Giver doesn't know this, but most anyone who has, which I think a lot of people do, because I think it is a, it's a become like a requirement in like lower grades classes. But it's a dystopian type story, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all four of the stories are dystopian. And so I asked you off the air, I felt like that's where you were kind of going with your book was it was kind of a dystopian storyline. But I want to kind of fold that into another question. Um, and that is, we were talking about your nonfiction and it's all kind of religious based. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you consider this book of fiction a Christian book? Or would you consider it um, something else? Yeah, good question. It is... Um, actually funny thing is I think I made a, a snide comment a few weeks ago who, who, uh, against the people who always say good questions. So here I am saying, question. but yeah. anyway, thanks for the question. How about yeah, that? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it, it is not a Christian book, but yet it is the most thoroughly Christian book that I've written. So it is not, it is not, um, there's nothing overt in it that's Christian and there's no proselytizing and there's nothing trying to teach you anything. Um, but it is a book of hopefully, um, wisdom and the people who guide you along the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say it, it, it definitely is in a fantasy category. It's a thriller. It's psychological. Uh, it's it 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 can be very dark uh, and disturbing. And I mean, it's not that bad, but you know, it's it's a dark book. But it, I think it's a beautiful book as well. Um, whenever someone asks me, 
because this is like the first podcast interview that I've had for this book. So I'm like, all right, well, how would you describe it? Like, what is the point of the book? And I would say the most simple explanation is it is how one's person know one's person, one person's no can become a yes. That is kind of like the big thing. And it's a story of how we see. It's a story of how we see others. It's a, it's a story about the betrayal of institutions and systems for power. Um, it's about the power of tyrannical systems and the way that they fight and battle to elicit fear and control. Um, it's about how veiled we are within those systems and kind of the death of the spirit. Um, take that as a capital S or a lowercase s, it doesn't matter. But it's also uh, a book about the discovery of wisdom. And it's a story about those who, like I said, guide us along the way. It's um, those, it's a story about those who shake us and wake up, wake us out of our uh, trance that we're in. Um, it's a story about open doors, second chances, a story about mercy and grace and healing um, as we begin to see and evolve. And to me, that there's something compelling. There's something deep to the heart of what we're experiencing right now collectively as a culture that this speaks deeply to. This is this story is a microcosm of where we're at as humanity right now. And that's what I'm saying. It definitely has something to say. If somebody wants to read it for a really good, fast read um, and enjoy it, they absolutely will. I made it a, a funny. I mean, there are parts that are, I, I <laughs> maybe I'm the weirdest guy ever, but there are parts where I just started crying, laughing at the comedy that's in it. Um, and I'm yeah. like, are you even allowed to laugh at your own book like that? But I've gone back and reread it and reread it. And I just die laughing at, at especially one character, but, um, you know, you'll get that. But like I said earlier, it, it, it's as deep as you want to go. It, it is intuitive and instructive for where we're at as a culture. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give anything away in the book either because I want I want people to buy the book. I want people to read the book. But um, I do feel like there is some commentary going on also, um, be it political. And I don't think it, I don't think, I don't want to even say, I don't want to pigeonhole it into say, Hey, you're like, you're talking about America here or you're talking about, but I feel like there is some kind of commentary to an overarching theme of what is kind of going on in not only our country, but in the world right now with certain yeah. tyrannical people in power, uh, people not, you know, people being told not to question certain things that are going on or, or, or being told this is okay to question. This is not okay to question. You know, that's spot on. And the thing that I would say is that I, th this has to be one of the most important things that I get across every time that I talk to people. This is a book for people. This is a book for human beings. This is not a book for conservatives. This is not a book for progressives specifically. There will be parts where you may even think you know where it's going from a social commentary perspective or from a political perspective, but I promise you it's not. The way that the story evolves, it is about people from different perspectives trying to work through and reconcile assumptions that we've made about each other, the way that we see each other, and from, from the outside looking in based on labels or what have you. And so I, I would just ask, no matter what persuasion uh, politically or ideologically a person comes from, I would ask them to suppress that, kind of check it out for a while and just let the book play out. Because if somebody reads the first chapter or the uh, even the foreword of the book, they may be like, okay, well, we can see where this is going. There could be some political motivation here. And I swear to you that there's not. I'm the most freaking apolitical person. I hate politics. And I want to scream and yell at both sides equally. So there's no uh, hidden agenda here. It is a book for people. Yeah, that's a tough line to straddle sometimes, isn't it? Because even... Because even those labels of liberal, conservative, progressive, whatever, they're, they're, they're really less than meaningless anymore, you know? And I don't think people tend to fall 
squarely on one side or the other down the line for everything. So I, for example, right. I mean, I know that there are, there are things, there are people in my life compared to whom I am, oh, I'm ultra progressive. And then there mm-hmm. are people in my life who would look at me and they still see me as very conservative. You know, it's just, it's, it, it's this weird spectrum thing where, you know, compared to somebody else, yeah, maybe I am very liberal or progressive, whatever term you like. And then compared to others, man, I haven't gone far enough in some of my deconstruction or some of my, my, my ideology. So those labels are less than useful. Kierkegaard was right that, you know, when you label someone, you negate them. Essentially, you take away the need to get to know you anymore. Wait, wait, hold on. Wait. Bill and Ted didn't come up with that. No, it wasn't Bill and Ted at all. It was, and actually, we can we can we can jump on uh, on Perry Zahn's story about when she asked the Danish guy about Kierkegaard, and he was like, "Who?" So she's walking the Camino de Santiago with Brian Zahn, and and she runs across this guy who's Danish, and it's the only thing she knows of anything Danish at all is Soren Kierkegaard. And she's like, "Oh, so you must know Kierkegaard?" And he goes, "Nope." <laughs> Never heard of him. <laughs> and they go on. With, and she's like, how could you be the only Dane who doesn't know the most famous Dane? Yet again, well, it turns out, and I don't know if he was just being obtuse or if he just didn't, but that's not how you pronounce his name. In the, it, it's, it's, it's like Kierkego or Kirko. It's, it's something strange. So she, I was like, oh, you mean this person? She's like, you knew who I meant. You know? <laughs> and, and then she never saw him again. Like he disappears in the Camino. I'm like, oh, he was an angel taught to teach you a, pronounce Danish, a correct Danish pronunciation of Kierkego or whatever his name is. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, but when you label somebody, you know, and I, I think it's a brilliant thought. No, Bill and Ted picked up on it. They're right. When you label me, you negate me. And I'm not even entirely sure that's, I know it's always attributed to, to, to whatever that guy's name is. Now, now I don't want to say I'm self-conscious about Kierkegaard. Um, but, um, <laughs> but whether he said it or not, the truth of it is that, you know, the second we slap a label on somebody or something, um, we've categorized it, put it in a box, we've decided we know what it is. And I don't need to get you know, I don't need to get to know you anymore. You know, and, and you yeah. can watch this stuff play out in real time. That's the one thing, you know, I love and hate social media. The, the love side of it is it, it is a way to get some stuff out, you know, in, in, yeah. into the universe and that's good um, but and you can but, but you can watch some of the stuff ha- happen in real time where you know you say something and a response is oh you're just a liberal blam I'm done talking to you now because they've labeled you they've figured you out and then there's no more conversation that can be had after that um, it's just it's 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 less than useful it's destructive and so I I, I think that your approach is is admirable I think that might be you know that that fiction might be a way to cut through some of that noise and say, hey, we're, I'm just telling a story here, man. If you if you get something else out of it, great. If you just enjoy it for the story, great. But it might be a way to cut through some of that static, you know, and get a, you know. Yeah, it's hard to access more than the lizard monkey brain or whatever, exactly. you know. It's yeah. like, how, how do you start accessing different layers of the brain that engage in thinking that isn't so instinctive or reactive. Right. And I think, I think a lot of times, you know, we've been reduced to 140 characters or we've been reduced to status updates and we've been reduced to even, you know, (laughs) how many times do you look at a news story and read the headline, but don't read the article. And we, all we have, I think Roar says that, I don't know if you've ever read Everything Belongs. It's probably one of my favorite books, but he says... Uh, Richard Rohr, right? Yeah, yeah, Richard Rohr. Yeah, great book. He, he says um, something like, we've been uh, walking on the circumference with very little access to essence. And, you know, we've, we've existed living on the edges. And I think that as a culture, it's kind of a cultural indictment of us as people that we have... We are on the circumference of life, but but we also have very little access to essence. And the question would be, why do we have so little access to essence? Well, some of it's our fault. Maybe we're sleepwalking and we don't know. But you could say that all of our inputs that surround us are um, content reinforcing us being on the circumference. Whenever you have to go deeper, whenever you have to start engaging at a different level, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of loss. It's an act of giving up in some regard. And who wants to do that? Um, death is painful. So I think that it, it, I don't know that I 
especially thought of Roar and that uh, quote from Everything Belongs whenever I was writing this, but I certainly, it's kind of become formative with me and how I approach everything is how do you help people? How, how can I be, uh, how can I be someone who helps people break the monotony of the circumference and edges and help people access something that's deeper and more essential? And I hope and pray that this book is that. Yeah. No, and I think, um, you know, when you talk about accessing, you know, different parts of your brain and you talk about, um, you know, um, different ways of thinking, I, I start thinking of things like linear and versus nonlinear thinking. I think about, you know, how, how creativity sort of resides in this different part of your brain um, and accessing that has the opportunity to unlock certain things, change your, you know, you have these sort of default ways of thinking. And I'm a very linear person, man. I'm a A, B, C, that, that's the way I go. <laughs> and so sometimes somebody really creative can take me out of that pattern. You know, sometimes even, not, not necessarily against my will, but can can hijack it somewhat and go, hey, well, I know you're used to going A, B, C, D, but let's go, you know, I, I, I think about <laughs> movies like, uh, you know, I think about a movie like Pulp Fiction, you know, where, uh, um, oh, yeah. you know, for whatever it's worth, oh, well, Quentin Tarantino takes us on the most convoluted, backwards, messed up ride. That is the quintessential, to almost pun, Quentin Tarantino, quintessential um, sort of nonlinear storytelling <laughs> that makes you pay attention. You cannot rest on your laurels in that movie and go, well, I know where this is going. You sure as hell do not because you started at the end and then you're, it's like watching Memento, you know, or something that goes backwards and but even to some extent, when we get used to reading so much nonfiction, that's mm-hmm, going to lay mm-hmm. out, this is, hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to tell you what I told you. And we get used to that pattern of, of conveying knowledge. And all of a sudden, a story can break you out of that pattern. And, and I, think, I think you're exactly right, dude. I think that's, a, I think that's powerful. Well said. I, I think it's really powerful, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read this now. Well, I, I appreciate that. And there is nothing wrong with Netflix and chill mentality. And, you know, here's a confession. When COVID started, I think that I had only watched maybe three episodes. I've watched more than that, but maybe a couple of seasons of Survivor in my life. And during COVID over like a six week span, I watched every single season and every single episode. And I can't tell you how many hundreds maybe even thousands of hours <laughs> that is. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not indicting the Netflix and heavily chill mindset, but at the same time, like I I I want something that I can engage with that takes me to a deeper level that uh, I walk away and I can at least think about it at a minimum or or at a maximum to talk to somebody else about it. And my wife and I watched a movie probably uh, three or four months ago called, is it Mr. Marvelous or Mr. Majestic? Mr. Marvelous? Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. Wow, man. So anyway, I'm not going to talk to you. You'll have to look that one up. I think it's called Mr. Marvelous. And when we finished it, I mean, we talked about it for hours because, again, it it was a movie that was really super entertaining and good, but the social commentary that was within it just was like, wow, it's throwing all these different ideas from different perspectives and the limitations of everyone's thinking on all the different sides where you can, you, you start to understand different perspectives. And ultimately, I think, you know, maybe to be really super obvious here, um, this is what we need, right? We we need people coming to the table and being able to talk again. We need people being able to talk about the pros and cons or the uh, benefits and limitations of an idea without us going for the jug, jug, juggler, jug, jugular vein, the, going, the for, going for the neck. We, we're uh, taking all the jugglers out. Screw those guys <laughs> and their hand-eye coordination. Uh, F those dudes. This book's for everybody except the jugglers. <laughs> except the jugglers and the mimes. I have a bone to pick and with the mimes. I'm going to have a mime the on the podcast one day. It's really going to be just silence <laughs> no, for 35 not. minutes. <laughs> Uh, oh man but it's funny because it's a two-edged it's a two-edged sword though isn't it you know i I, you know within christian circles i get tons of pushback if i if i criticize someone's ideology 
and then that well, we're supposed to be loving and kind and non-judgmental and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, absolutely, we should be. But I have to be able, I have to have the the, the liberty to call out bad ideology and, and have you understand that I'm not attacking that human being. I'm not saying you, mister, are a bad right. person. Yeah. But the thing you just said is horrifyingly hurtful and damaging and will lead to literally sometimes the deaths of people that I love. Um, so I'm going to call out bad theology when I see it. I'm going to call out bad ideology when I see it. And I, I think at least in my lizard monkey brain, I can differentiate between calling <laughs> out concepts and ideas and uh, versus attacking human beings. So if I say John Piper's a piece of shit, yeah. um, what I mean is John Piper's theology is hurtful and damaging and paints God mm-hmm, as a mm-hmm, monster mm-hmm. and it needs to be taken down. And I still think Jesus loves him very much. And someday he's going to meet that Jesus face to face and 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 repent of the ways in which he's painted him. But I can still say, you know, man, your theology is crap, dude. And uh, every time I say his name, yeah. I feel like a puppy gets kicked. And so we need to stop saying his name. But and he's not even the worst of the bunch. You know, there's there's, there's way worse guys. But um, but yeah, we've got to be able to criticize and call out, you know, bad ideology, and at the same time, re, you know, maintain the humanity. Of, of of the people with whom we disagree and say, no, 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 I, I don't hate you personally, but that stuff you said is exactly. bad. So stop saying it. So well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick story because this illustrates the point. And I've, I've overused this story on so many different podcasts. I've written about it in blogs and books. And so I apologize to anybody who's heard this before, but maybe your listenership hasn't heard it. You guys certainly haven't heard it. So New to us, man. You. Um, you know, way, way back in the day, I was, uh, I'm, I'm in Southern Indiana. Um, I was a good little conservative Republican boy. Um, I believed that the way that our country would be saved would be through, um, politics and through having the right policy or whatever. And, um, a friend and I decided to have, wanted to have kind of like this big, Christian slash political event where we'd bring in people taking back America, blah, blah, blah. This was like the year 2000 or 99. And um, so I started contacting different people to help organize it. And I contacted an artist agency trying to secure a a Christian musician to play at this thing. And long story short, after some correspondence over two weeks and never getting any response and finally talking to uh, the director, the director said, I just don't think that the artist will agree with what you're doing. And in my limited understanding of Christianity and the world from Southern Indiana, I had no comprehension of what they were talking. I was like, is there another way to do this? (laughs) Is there another perspective? (laughs) And the, and I was like, I, I don't understand. So like, I'm coming from a position of like unknowing, not having any idea, just complete non-knowing. And I, I, and I was being vulnerable. I'm like, well, I don't understand how, like, what, what is there to disagree with? Like, how would you do it otherwise? And the director said, I just don't agree with politics. And I don't believe that that's the way the kingdom of God moves forward. And I, I still didn't understand what he was saying and i'm like pushing i'm like tell me what you're talking about and he's this is the this is the critical just absolutely critical point he said people like you will never get it and i was like so fast forward here we are 21 years later um i did get it no thanks to that jackass. <laughs> but I think what would have happened had someone had patience with me and realized that, you know, sometimes the people that you disagree with ideologically grew up within a system. They grew up within yeah, sure. what they thought was right and the best at the time. And even some of the, you know, ways that we think and the ways that we convey those ideas to the world, yes, they can be detrimental, hurtful, harmful, and yes, we need to call those things out. But underneath of it, um, granted, there are some hardened, calcified, ossified people that are you're never going to crack through the surface and get to anything deeper. 
but there are people that are still searching. They may not even know they're searching, but they need our, our mercy and our grace and our love and our patience because they're on a journey that one day they may. And you may be, you may be the person that was just graceful enough to walk with them and help them see otherwise. And so, you know, this, this book here is not a sledgehammer, man. It's not uh, a list of dictates. It's not, um, it's not coercive. Uh, it's not manipulative. Uh, it doesn't have an agenda. It is a gentle guide, like I said earlier. And I, I believe that what we've long been missing has been um, wisdom. And hopefully it will guide us into the recovery of wisdom. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, I think fiction has this way of introducing thought, introducing an opinion or whatever you want to call it, but in a way that's not obtrusive, right? It's not like in your face. It's not, I mean, it can be. I mean, there's fiction that's written that way and it's, done, and it's written on that way on purpose. But um, I'm, I'm thinking of books like, um, I think it just became like a Amazon Prime show, The Underground Railroad. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a very, that's a, that's a very tough topic. That's a very hard thing to be writing about. And then choosing to write it in a fiction and then give it kind of like a fantasy edge to it is like, okay, that's a, that's a really cool idea. I mean, cause you're, you're, you're push, you're pushing some pretty heavy stuff on people, but within a fictionized, fictionalized story. And then because there's this fantasy element, you can kind of, you can kind of step away a little bit. Right. And then, then the author, then the author has this ability to kind of like, just kind of nudge you in a direction of like maybe some hey maybe there's another way to look at this. Oh, um, I love and it. I I feel like that's kind of what your your book is doing is um, yeah it's not it's not like in your face it's not it's not being it's not pushing anything at you it's not pushing an agenda but at the same time there's this underlying tone of like hey can we look at this a little different. Can we can we just come at this from a different point of perspective? And that's um, is that hard to do? Is that hard to write like that? Or is that just something that just kind of came as you were writing it? I think that's kind of where my heart has been um, yeah. for a while. You know, maybe this, maybe some of the. Well, I said there's three layers to this book: um, right. one that's apparent, one that is allegorical, and the other that is um, autobiographical. So you know. It's there's uh, an element which you know if I didn't really tell anybody you'd never know but it, maybe I'll do a deep dive one day or maybe it's way too personal personal to me but I think we spend so much time talking about the deconstruction of faith and the reconstruction of faith and, and everybody acts like that they're in one camp or the other and maybe we're in both all the time and. Uh, one of my characters had a quote. She said, "We're, uh, we're something like we're uh, all students, always taking our only, always taking first steps." And I feel like that that's who we are. We are people always just taking first steps, having not arrived at the destination necessarily, but still kind of planted back in what we came from. And this idea of deconstruction and reconstruction for me um you know i probably started the deconstruction about 14 15 years ago and i can tell you that that continues today in terms of what i'm walking away from and what i'm walking into but i think with this book being somewhat auto, somewhat autobiographical it was catharsis. It was a way of me kind of coming to terms with some of the things that I've been dealing with or holding on to or my personal um, anger towards systems and institutions and how to walk away from that. Um, so it, it was as much a cathartic experience for me than anything. And I can't even remember if that was what you were asking, but I think that <laughs> there was a lot of me in this book um, all the way from, I, I'm probably in every character, some more than others, but it it, it was the uh, kind of the the energy that pushed it forward. You know, you can find your, it's, it's just like reading the parables of Jesus in some sense, because you can find yourself in virtually any character in a parable. 
You know, what's it teaching you? What's it telling you? Yeah, I think Nat and I um, have talked about this quite a bit. You know, the, the the parable of the prodigal son, right? When I was a when I was a teenager, it was all about the the boy for That's me. Right. It was all about him him going off to the far country, doing what he wanted to do. I thought the story was all about that guy. That's right. And uh, it wasn't until I became a father that I realized, that, wait, hold on, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not the story here. Yeah. And and so then it becomes a story about this father, right, who graciously takes back this wayward son. And then, then it becomes, wait a minute, I'm not even sure it's about that guy. I think it's about the older brother. brother. There it is. And then it was like, okay, it was like, okay. And there's so many layers, right? And, and at different points in your life, the story speaks to you in a different way. Um, we've talked about the ragamuffin gospel as, as like a as a, like a changing point for a lot of people in deconstruction, right? And the first time I read it, I was like, eh, it's all right, it's an okay book. And then years later, I'm in I'm in like this crisis of faith, and everything's falling apart around me. And I read this book, and it can just completely breaks me, right? It just yeah. shatters me to my core. And it's, um, it's just really where you are. You know, we can talk about, you know, different types of artistry, right? Uh, Nat, Nat jokingly or not so jokingly continues to call you two the greatest Christian rock band of all time, right? <laughs> I stand by that and statement. I think, yeah. And I think one of the reasons why that's, that's a, 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 an okay statement for me and a factual statement for me is because I think that's what a Christian rock band should be really? like. Yeah, man. It's like they're just there writing music. Take from it what you want. If it speaks to you spiritually, awesome. If it speaks to you just as a good time, great. That's awesome. And they never shove it down your throat. And that's, I think, you know, fiction has that option too, right? Fiction writing has that option too of creating a beautiful story that you pulls you in and then you can decide to go deeper if you want. And if you don't and you just want to have a good time and read a book, go ahead, just read the book. Exactly. And I feel like that's that's kind of where what you're working on too Spot on. Um, with, with this book. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, one of the ways that people can get it. Uh, wh- when's this coming out? I think we will. We, I think we need to talk about pushing it to uh, the day before your book drops. What do you think, John? Because his book drops on the seventh. So we could drop it on the sixth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can. We we've done that for 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 some yeah. others. If it, it would be nice to have something out prior to. Hey, by the way, this book drops tomorrow. Um, if you're hearing this on Monday, it comes out on Tuesday on the seventh, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they can get it through Amazon, I'm guessing. Yeah. So it'll be everywhere online. I will probably still offer signed copies of paperback and hardback for people. And they can do like a PayPal or a Venmo deal. Um, I'd rather the money go in my pocket than Jeff Bezos, but I Amen to also, that, my friend. <laughs> it, it's a difficult thing, I think, as an author, because on, in one sense, you want the number one book in your category and all the notoriety yeah, that sure. comes with so it. You, but at the same you don't time, want to circumvent like, those processes, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, any way that people want to buy it, they can. I mean, Kindle, uh, paperback, hardback, I think the audio book should be coming out at some point. Um, and then people can PayPal me or Venmo me as so well. Are you are you narrating your own audio book? I'm not going to on this one. I hated it. I hate the process. I hate yeah. uh, recording my voice. <laughs> I hate listening to my voice. Uh, I think I, John I should start narrating audio books. What do you think? <laughs> like it all began yeah. in 1974. It's no. it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is the worst thing. I did it with my last book. And I have Logic Pro X and I had it all set up and I've got the book and I think I had it on my screen of my computer and there's so much that can go wrong. I mean, in, anything from noises you didn't expect, phone forget to silence, or you mispronounce a word or you screw up the sentence or the intonation's not right or the passion's not there. And I'm just like, screw this. I'm, I'm so <laughs> done. It, it took me longer to do the audio book than to write the stupid thing. So, wow. actually, yeah. I had somebody contact me about uh, three or four weeks ago and just offer to do it, and they have a wow. great voice. And I'm like, dude, you are a lifesaver. So, yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of like when John and I jumped into podcasting. You know, um, we thought the same thing, or John did. I, I, I didn't think a damn thing. So, John knows this. I was like, he's like, you want to do this? I'm like, yeah. What? Yeah, just tell me what to do. Whatever. I'm so John's the. John's the brains behind this whole thing. He put it together. He set everything up. You know, all I've done is, you know, show up and reach out to a few friends and, you know, get some people on the show. But, um, 
but for the first, what was it, like three episodes, John? John engineered everything. Oh, yeah, Naively thinking, how hard could this be? It was um, so bad. You want to know how hard it is? Go listen to our first two or three episodes and you will see yeah. like how much, how much having a professional editor um, who, Eric, if you're listening, dude, you're the man. Um, he makes us sound like we know what the hell we're doing. But yeah, I can imagine it's the same. It's the same because we go back and listen to episodes now. I'm like, oh, dude, that's okay. Like we didn't screw yeah. that up entirely because somebody who knows what they're doing edited this and put the hours in, put it all together wow. right. So I, I'd imagine audiobook narrators probably get that crap all the time. Like, dude, how hard is it? Read the book. No, no, yeah. no. No, there's a ton that has to go right in order for it to not sound convoluted. Man, I would I would re-cue it. Every time I screwed up, I would re-cue it and start over. And then I would finally wised up. And I'm like, no, just do it in one track and then go through and chop it up with a razor blade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> throw exactly. Throw the bad parts out. But it just took way more time. I, I, I like doing that stuff, but I don't love it that much. So. Yeah, no, I said, the first couple episodes that Eric um, edited for us, he was he was letting us know how many edits he made. I, I think he's, he just stopped doing that. Thank God. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. this last one, blah, 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 we had 247 edits. And I'm like, oh I don't need to know God. this anymore. Stop it. You know, because he's, right. you know, every, um, every, oh, every, you know, it, yeah, it, it always sounds much, much more polished, you know, when we release those. Plus, he's got the intros and the outros. I'm like, oh, man, we're like a semi-legit exactly. podcast. But I am a fan of generally when authors read their own books, as long as, you know, like, so uh, Brad Jersak's book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, the guy that read that, uh, and I've told Brad a few times, and he he's terrible. Like, I mean, <laughs> so the, the guy's, you know, he's reading a, a book that's steeped in all, you know, theological jargon, and he doesn't know how to say any of it. And so he keeps saying these words, and it's just throwing me out of the narrative because he's mispronouncing words. And, you know, he's saying stuff like two Corinthians and, um, you know, uh, I forget. I, I can't even think of one now, but but they were so obvious as he went through them. And there was, you know, there just wasn't a lot of like, hey, I, I not a lot of passion. You know, I mean, Brad speaks with a lot of passion. And but anyway, but I totally get the fact that it's it's not as easy as it sounds or as as, as it looks. Um, it's like talking to David Hayward, you know, the guy who that the naked pastor, right? Oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He writes. He draws these very, you know, deceptively simple cartoons and manages to convey just a crap ton of truth in a couple of simple lines. It's not easy, man. It's an art form all of its own, but yeah, it's easy it's to, to dismiss that and say, ah, yeah, he's drawing, you know, stick figures. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that being said, fiction's the same, right? Eh, just tell a story. No, there's all the stuff that goes in and out of it and there's all the <laughs> plot lines and unless you just want it to not be interesting. So I imagine there's some twists and some turns and some things that you have to keep straight in yeah. your own. I'm going to keep coming back to the lizard monkey brain because I, I think that's amazing. I wish you could see my notebook. But. Yeah. No, I wish you could see my notebook. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it's tattered and torn and full and arrows and scratches. And, and it, it, it is, I don't even know how I kept it straight, honestly. But, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, for, for me, the easy part, believe it or not, is writing the book. Um, I, I said it's like a marathon and it's painful, but once I land on the idea, like that's the thought before the idea, but then the idea comes and after I've sat on it and I realize that there is a real passion that if I don't get it out there, that I'm going to explode. That, that's the easy part for me is writing it because I become hyper obsessive. I'm waking up at 4 a.m. and writing till 8 a.m. I'm writing all weekend long, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. But the thing that absolutely terrifies me is this part right here. It's you, you've, you've gestated this thing for two years. And there's the, uh, the fear that you've put so much love and attention into every detail, to every part, to every line, to every word. And there's so much depth of heart and soul into it and the fear that no one will read it. And then there's the other part where I, I don't think that I'm as fearful of this next part because I, I'm starting to get some of the early reviews in and it's been overwhelmingly good. But there's the fear of like, what if they tell you that your baby's ugly? <laughs> Then <laughs> um, you love it I, anyway, man. You love you, it anyway. You do. You do. So my, I guess my my appeal to your audience is 
look, you, you don't know me. You may, you, you probably don't, but I, I want you to trust me that this is a book worth your time. It's a, it's a book worth your money. It's a book worth your investment. And typically I would just have a uh, Kindle book and a paper book, but I'm like, this, this book feels like that it needs to have a hardcover as well. I mean, that, that to me, there's something yeah. to that. And I really pushed for it. And Ralph was like, absolutely, we'll do it. So I don't know. I I appeal to your audience to trust me in this. And just more than anything, the other thing I realize is that I can put out the coolest stuff on social media. I can try to convince people to buy it. But the really, truly 99.99999% of the time, the way that a book sells is by people telling another person and it's a personal interaction and it's a personal appeal. And so my appeal is to your audience to trust me to buy it. But then if they do resonate with this book, would you, would they please tell people about it? Because that's, we're, we're small Absolutely. little guys with choir. Some are bigger than others. I'm probably one of the smaller guys on the, the totem pole here, but it, it really comes down to uh, word of mouth and people sharing uh, their heart with other people about what they've experienced with this work. That's awesome. Yeah. No, we'll yeah, definitely I'll, do that. I'll, and we'll link to all your stuff in the show notes and your blog and your website. And Well, I just want to, yeah, I want to add just my, my two cents on uh, what you were saying there is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to appeal to our listeners and say, so when it comes to fiction, those there's books that just grab you, right? And there's books that take a little while. I was instantly hooked from like the first few sentences in. So I would appeal to the listeners to just, yeah, just grab the book. I don't, you're not going to be disappointed. You know, I, I've admitted that I haven't finished the book. You know, I'm about 25% in and, but I, I'm loving it and I, and I want to finish it. So I'm going to be, you know, over the next couple of days finishing it. But, uh, yeah, my two cents is you're going to like it. And I definitely pick it up. Definitely grab it. I'm ordering it. Did you see that? Oh, I just okay. ordered it. I can't. <laughs> All I see is a big glow on okay. your screen. Well, I just clicked order. Anyway, so I did it through you. Amazon right. so you get the points. So you'll, I'll send you an extra five bucks so you make up the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll mail it to you for a signature and you can send it back to me. But there you right. go. No, I, um, I, I, John and I, uh, am, for no other reason than we just love writers and authors and people who put out good content. Um, we, I, we tend to buy the books of everybody we interview. Um, we don't ask yep. them for free copies. Sometimes they send them anyway, but nah, I mean, uh, you deserve to be supported. And I, and I've been remiss lately because I've just been so darn busy with this new business that I have not done my homework as well as I should. Um, so I've got a stack of books from people we're about to interview and people we've just interviewed, but we do buy the books and promote the books, uh, and the work of people that we interview. I, we we genuinely believe in in what y'all are doing, and Choir in particular is is my favorite publishing house. I mean, the stuff that they're putting out, the the authors they're finding, um, the voices that they're promoting and giving platform to are necessary and needed. It needs to it, something needs to challenge the 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 narrative of you know some of the mainstream um, so called Christian bookstore writers, you know. Not that we don't like them, but sometimes their ideology needs to be challenged. And so I love that. And so for that reason, uh, in particular, we will we'll promote and we'll push and we will do our very best with what tiny little bit of influence we have um, with our dozens and dozens of listeners to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, the audience is growing, man. We got uh, we broke into the top 200 for our, uh, for our podcast. I'm, you haven't looked again to see if we're still there, have you, John? You don't no. you don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. I know. No, no. <laughs> but no, it's well, it's, I'll uh, push it's you right out of the top two hundred with this interview. Woohoo! Right on. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm, we're honored that we're the first one you've done for this book, man. Um, yeah, that makes uh, that makes me super happy, man. We're about to uh, have some uh, some great content coming out, and I count you in that list of of awesome people. Um, what I, here's what I love, and I'm going to close this with this, John. And I'll let you shut it down, but. Um, I love, a hundred percent love the fact that I can come into an, in, into an interview like this with admittedly not much knowledge of who you are and what you, you were, and just have the best time and just have like the coolest conversation. Yeah, man, that's good. You, you guys have been great. I love having these conversations. Yeah, me too. And sometimes it's fun to come into it and just not have an agenda or direction. Let's just see where the conversation takes us. And so guys like you, uh, who can come and do a little give and take and, you know, I, I'm, 
uh, really excited to read your book. Um, hopefully you'll be here in a few days once it drops and um, then I can put out, I'll put a review on Amazon or something and give it one star and tell people, this is heresy. And then it'll sell more copies <laughs> that way. So uh, it'll be controversial. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, that's no. the best kind so, of advertising, I guess. There you go, man. There's no such thing as bad press, right? Uh, well, hey guys, I, I, I know you're pressed for time, but I appreciate the space you've given me and the conversation and uh, look forward to picking it up again, especially after you read it. That that would mean yeah. everything to me. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, John. All right. Well, I just, I, I just wanted to, you know, also just add my two cents and just thank you for taking the time and coming to yeah. talk to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, every, every one of these conversations, uh, ends up being way better than I think either Nat and I expect. And, uh, I think again, not to just kind of reiterate, but part of that is that we, we just don't have an agenda. We don't, we just, yeah. we want to come in and just have a real conversation. If we don't, uh, very rarely do I have questions written down. Uh, I think NASA's the same way. And I just love the, the, the way the conversation just flows. So uh, again, just thank you. Listeners, buy the book. Buy it. By the time <laughs> you hear this, you'll be able to buy it. And uh, we want you to buy it. So uh, again, thank you for coming on. Cool. Thanks, guys. We'll talk later. You bet. All right, man. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.